0: Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael Silva, and I am your host for episode 47. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Joel Griffin as he continues his study with us on the Book of Ruth. The title of his message is, He is Worthy. This concludes Joel's study with us on the Book of Ruth. If you missed any of the episodes, please feel free to listen to episode 37, 45, and 46. Please come with me to a throne room scene. Something that John the Apostle saw in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Ancient of Days is sitting on the throne in the center. And on his right hand is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The one who is also known as the Lamb. And there are beings all around. There's powerful beings. There's people, the 24 elders around. And so many creatures looking on to this mighty scene. And a great search is made. A search in heaven and in earth and under the earth for someone who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals. And there are tears. John the Apostle is crying because there seems to be no one worthy to break the seals. Seems like The contents of the scroll will remain unknown. But then there's someone present, just an ordinary person, one of the 24 elders, who comes up to John the Apostle and whispers and says to him, I've got a secret for you. There is one who is worthy. He is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. He is worthy to do this. He's explained as the root of David, this person at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb, is seen as the root of David as well. And let's just stop there for a little minute. Why is the Lamb, why is the Lord Jesus Christ known as the root of David? In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, we learn that there was going to be a shoot out of the stump of Jesse, and this would be the Messiah. How is it? In this imagery of a stump, and of a shoot, and of roots. This imagery that conjures up the idea of a family tree and a mighty dynasty. How is it that the Messiah is both the shoot and the root of this family tree? And this calls to mind one of the questions that the Lord Jesus had for the religious leaders, the Pharisees in the temple. He put to them the question, how is it possible... That the Christ would be both the son of David and also the Lord of David. How can this be the same individual? And we learn from the word of God that the Lord Jesus Christ was not only the descendant of David. The shoot that would come out of the stump of Jesse, the family tree, this mighty dynasty described as a stump. Because when the Babylonians came in and they carried off the people of God and it seemed like this royal dynasty came to an end. There was a shoot, this sprout of hope that came with the arrival of the Lord Jesus. But the Lord Jesus is not just the shoot, the Messiah, but he's also the root of this dynasty. He is the one who is the very source of the planning of this dynasty. He is the one overall, the eternal God, the eternal Son of God, who was designing this family tree from the beginning. From everlasting to everlasting, he was designing this mighty plan of redemption. So the root and the shoot. The Lord Jesus is both the descendant of David and his Lord. And this is the one. He's the lamb. He's the lamb and he's the lion. We see another really amazing contrast here. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The strength, the nobility of this individual. But also the lamb. The one who is meek, who is pure, who is innocent, and whose blood was shed. So why is it the Lamb that can open up this scroll of judgment? No one can point their finger at God and say that God is a hard God of judgment who never offers mercy. Because before the Lord Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah in judgment on the earth. He is the Lamb that laid down his life to save and the people who will experience judgment are the ones who rejected him as the lamb. And so the lamb, the one who suffered, he's the one who's also the lion. And he is the one who is regal and who has the authority to judge. But there's a song in this mighty scene. And there's a song here about the worthiness of this unique individual, the lamb. And they sing about his worth. It's a song about the worth of the Lord Jesus and the 24 elders and the four creatures they start singing and then later on other beings join in. What are they singing and why? The worth of this lamb because he was slain and it says by your blood you ransomed people from every nation and you have made them, established them as a kingdom of priests for God. What does Revelation chapter 5 have to do with the book of Ruth? In Ruth chapter 2 verse 1, we read about another worthy person. We read about a worthy man. And there was a man of the clan of Elimelech. He was a worthy man. And his name was Boaz. Boaz was a worthy man. He redeemed. He redeemed someone from the nations. And because of that redemption, a kingdom was established. And the offspring of Boaz was Obed, who was the forefather of David. And so we see a powerful image in the Old Testament. Boaz, a symbol of Jesus Christ, the ultimate Redeemer. Because the Lord Jesus redeemed, and He redeems from the nations. And He is the King of this kingdom for God. Chris Tomlin has a song. um, It's called, Is He Worthy? And the lyrics are powerful and they point us to the worth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy that the song hits a crescendo as this question is asked? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. He is. And we can say with all of the conviction of our hearts that the Lord Jesus Christ, he is worthy of our worship. He's the only man in the universe. Who is worthy of worship. On several occasions in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John falls down in homage and in worship. And he's told to stop doing that on a few occasions because he's not worshiping God. He was falling down to worship an angel, and the angel stops as a faithful messenger of God and says, Don't worship me. You can only worship God. How significant it is then. That when the Apostle John falls down in homage and worship to a man named Jesus, he is not told to stop. Because Jesus is none other than the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. He is worthy of worship. And so this message, this episode is so that our hearts are lifted up in worship are occupied with what we were created for, that we would all be brought to the point that we would shout with exclamation that worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and power is Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And to get to that point, to get closer to that, to be more full in that, let's look at Boaz. Because Boaz is a vivid image in the scriptures that points us onward to the ultimate Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Now in this series on Ruth, we've asked or we've noticed a series of questions in the story of Ruth that have pointed us to some of the the main themes of the story. And the first question we discussed and considered together was the question in chapter 1, Is this Naomi? And we learned that redemption means hope for the wounded and the oppressed. And the next question we considered together was, Whose young woman is this? That question in chapter 2. And we learned about Ruth's identity and how God's redemption is profoundly gracious. And then the third question that we considered together was the question of Naomi to Ruth. Where did you glean today? And we learned about the significance of that question and how God is sovereign over the circumstances and the events of our life. And that redemption is God's sovereign plan. And that our little lives play into God's big plan. Now, the last question in this series on the book of Ruth is a question asked by Naomi to Ruth once again. And it's in chapter 3, verse 2. And the question is this Is not Boaz our relative? Is not Boaz our relative? And here is a pair of ladies, Ruth the Moabite, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they're in this oppressive situation of poverty without security. And this question points us to the identity of Boaz, who he is and what he could do to relieve them from their oppression. And we are pointed to this very important, very important truth. There is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi. And this individual in the story points us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just read a few verses together from the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2, verse number 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our but will settle the matter today now boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold the redeemer of whom boaz had spoken came by so boaz said turn aside friend sit down here and he turned aside and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said sit down here so they sat down then he said to the redeemer naomi who has come back from the country of moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged To our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Mahlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance This is the word of God. As we think about Boaz, let's notice who he wasn't. Second, who he was. Third, how he did what he did. First of all, let's notice that Boaz was not Mahlon. The former husband of Ruth. We see a contrast between Mahlon and Boaz. Malon was the dead man. His name means weak and sickly. And Ruth was pre- previously associated with this man. He was, she was previously married to him, but he died. And his death initiated the oppression in her life. And if Boaz reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ, then Malon reminds us of Adam. The one that we were associated before we were considered by God to be in Christ. Adam, in his weakness, he sinned. And he brought in the sickness of sin and the oppression of death. And we were in Adam. But now, because of redemption, we are in Christ 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 and 22 say, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so we see a beautiful contrast here between Boaz and Malon. A beautiful picture of who we were associated with Adam but now we are associated and we are in Christ. And because of the obedience of Christ to the plan of the Father to redeem, and because of his self-offering at the cross, we are now in him. But then notice with me another person who Boaz is unlike in the story, who Boaz is not. He is totally different, and he is not the same as that other nearer kinsman who could have redeemed but was unwilling to redeem that other kinsman, that other family member in chapter four, who was actually more closely related to the family than even Boaz. But he decided he would not, he was unwilling, he would not redeem Ruth and Naomi. And so there's tension in the story, isn't there, as we're reading it, as we get drawn into the plot, we start to really respect Boaz as he's introduced in the story, and we see how Boaz could so fully meet Ruth and Naomi's need. But then there's this curveball in the plot. Wait a minute, there's someone else who could redeem before Boaz. And inside us, as we read the story, I think there's a little bit of romance, and we're all a little bit romantics at our hearts as we say, No, don't let it be that other guy. Let it be Boaz who marries Ruth. We, we're rooting for Boaz. And there's this tension in the story and we're we're holding our breath to see who is it that's going to redeem. Is it going to be this other guy or is Boaz going to marry Ruth? And there's a lot of relief when the other guy says, no, I don't want to do it. He learns about Ruth. First, he wants the field, but he doesn't want Ruth along with the field because Ruth's a Moabite. And he's, he's afraid that his inheritance and his family is going to be compromised by her entry. So different. Than Boaz. Boaz, he's the right guy. He is a near kinsman, but he's also willing. He's willing to redeem. And he doesn't think about himself, he's thinking about Ruth. And it's such a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is capable of saving us, but he's also willing to save us. He came. And he walked amongst us. And he showed us the Father. And he was the consummate gentleman. He was sinless. And he touched the untouchables. And he went and associated with those that everybody else was afraid of. But that was just the beginning. He also laid down his life for us. And not just any death. Even death on a cross. Able to redeem. And willing. He wanted to redeem us. Boaz was able and he wanted to, in such contrast to the other. My mind goes to that beautiful scene when the leper falls down before the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. And he kneels before the Lord and he says, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. And the Lord Jesus, he says, I want to. I will be clean clean. And the Lord Jesus has said to every single one of us who knows him as our savior, I want to save you. Be clean. You are cleansed. I have done everything necessary so that you can be saved. And so who Boaz wasn't? He wasn't Malon. And he wasn't the unnamed family member who refused to redeem. And he's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in his willingness and his capability to redeem. But now let's think about who he was. We thought about who he wasn't. Let's think about who he was. Boaz was a worthy man from Bethlehem. A worthy man from Bethlehem. If you go to Proverbs 31, you read about the virtuous woman. That word virtuous, it's the same word in the Hebrew language as the worthiness of Boaz here. He's someone who is respectable in every sense, but it also has the idea of being courageous, a person of valor. Boaz is a worthy man from Bethlehem, and he's massively respected. What a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Micah 5, verse 2, 500 years before the Lord Jesus was born, we have that prophecy about where the ruler, the Messiah, would come from. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is able to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old and from ancient days. A powerful prophecy from the Old Testament scriptures pointing us to where the Messiah would be born. And the Lord Jesus Christ, as a baby, is fulfilling this prophecy. Even the wise men around King Herod, Herod the Great, they were expecting the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem because Herod was doing his research and he asked them and they said, oh, well, that's an easy answer in Bethlehem. Boaz, as this worthy man from Bethlehem, is a beautiful image of who the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, is. Boaz was worthy. We think of the Lord Jesus ultimately worthy. We've already thought about how he's worthy of our worship, and he showed entirely and perfectly who God is. He said, those who have seen me have seen the Father. He's the one who grew in wisdom and stature before God and men. He was perfect in his interactions with everybody. He could not sin, and he did not sin, the worthy man of Bethlehem. So Boaz was worthy and so is our Lord Jesus in a much greater sense. But Boaz was also a near kinsman. There was a few different words in the, in the book of Ruth that describe family members. And one of them is in uh, Ruth chapter 3 and verse number 2 where Naomi calls Boaz a relative. Is not Boaz our relative? And that word there is a general word for relative. It's not a close relative. It could be a far, a distant relative, someone with a far-off relation. But then there's another Hebrew word that's used in Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, and that's translated in the ESV as near relative. Near relative. So Boaz is a relative, but he's not just a relative. He's a near relative. Now let's just think about that for a minute. Boaz had to be a near relative relative, in order to redeem Ruth. Let's think of the Lord Jesus. In order for us to be redeemed, we needed a new relative. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh, flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil the Lord Jesus, willing to be our near kinsman, to be human. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, his absolute masterpiece of a book, he states in so many words that the Incarnation, it's the mystery of God with us as genuine man. The Incarnation is the ultimate miracle of the Christian faith. And our salvation begins with this mystery. If we're able to accept that God came to be with us as real man, but he was still fully holy God, then we are able to accept the gospel. If we reject the incarnation, then we are in no position to accept salvation by faith in Christ. But if we accept that fundamental mystery of God with us, then by faith we can reach out and receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Without the incarnation, you see, we no longer have the gospel. The Lord Jesus became fully man, remaining fully God in order to save us. He is our near kinsman. And so who was he? He's a worthy man, a near kinsman. And also, we have this other term in Ruth, this other Hebrew word, gal. It's translated as redeemer and avenger in the Old Testament. Now, first of all, let's think about Boaz, and ultimately the Lord Jesus, as the Redeemer. What is the Redeemer? Redeemer is the one who pays the price to grant freedom. The one who ransoms. And specifically in this context, it's that near relative that pays the price to return the family fortune into the appropriate family and to produce the possibility of an heir to carry on the family name. Of course, Jesus is our Redeemer, and He paid the ultimate price for our freedom. We're not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Psalm 69 verse 4 says, Prophetically, I believe the Lord Jesus could take these words, I restored that which I took not away. I restored that which I took not away. The Lord Jesus paid the price to restore what he had never broken. and We were the ones that were guilty. But he comes in in his grace and his mercy and he redeems us. But this term that's translated redeemer in Ruth is also in the Old Testament translated as the avenger. The avenger. In Numbers thirty-five nineteen, we learn that if someone was killed and someone was murdered in Israel then a near family member had the responsibility of being the avenger, of chasing down that murderer and restoring justice and putting that person to death. And if it was manslaughter, then the person who had murdered by accident had to flee to a city of refuge, a designated city, to be safe from the avenger. And it's the same word translated here in Ruth, Redeemer. And so the Redeemer and the Avenger are the same person. Very interesting that in John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ describes Satan, the devil, as a murderer. And at the cross, Satan thought that he was catching up with the Lord Jesus at the cross and that his plans were succeeding and he was finally going to destroy the seed of the woman, the Messiah. But in all actuality, it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Avenger, the Redeemer, the Avenger, catching up with the murderer of Satan and putting him to death at the cross by virtue of his own voluntary, vicarious death for us. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, God disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. And so we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is our ultimate Avenger. He has set things right when they went wrong, when Satan crept in, that ancient serpent, that deceiver, the devil, and beguiled Eve and Adam, and the first sin was committed, and the Lord Jesus, he has come in, and he has brought justice by his own death. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. It's helpful for me to know that that word that's translated Redeemer can also be translated Avenger. Avenger. And Job is saying, I know that my Avenger lives. And his friends were giving all of these sorts of fancy speeches as to why Job was suffering as he was. And Job disagreed with them. They were accusing him of being a great sinner and and of all his faults. And they were trying to, through logic tell Job why he was suffering the way he was and Job said he pleaded his own cause and he called for God to please his cause plead his cause and he says to them I know I know that my avenger lives and I will see him on the earth and there's many times in life when we just have to say I know my avenger lives I know my avenger lives you have felt not properly represented. You have felt accused. And you have felt like maybe you have gone through so much unjust suffering. Just know this. Know what Job knew. Know that your avenger, your vindicator, lives and lives eternally. This is our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who caught up with that murderer, the devil, at the cross. Victory in the greatest sense. Now, let's think about how Boaz did what he did to redeem Ruth. He did it legally, he did it maritally, and he did it thoroughly. First of all, legally. Boaz left no stone unturned, he left no loopholes in the law to be manipulated so that this redemption could be undone. Very clearly in public, he took care of this business. Notice that he goes to the gate, and that's where the elders Of the community would often make big decisions. And Boaz points us forward once again to the Lord Jesus Christ who, at the gate, procured our redemption. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And in our redemption there is no stone left unturned. There are no loopholes that the enemy might connivingly use To see us lose our salvation. It's impossible. Our salvation is legally complete. Before God. And in Romans chapter 3. The apostle Paul explains to us. How legally we have been justified. Before God. And God considers us righteous. And no one. As we learn in Romans chapter 8. Can condemn us. No one can condemn those who are in Christ Jesus. God is both just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. You see, when the, when God saved us, He didn't hide our sins under the carpet. He dealt with our sins perfectly, in full justice, when the Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins in His own body on the tree. And now God is free to not only justify, but to do that without compromising true justice. Our sins were paid for in full. Full legal salvation. And Satan is known as the accuser of the brethren and how he would love to find a loophole in our salvation. And he loves to accuse the brethren. But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This same one who has made propitiation for our sins, not just for our sins but for the sins of the whole world. And when the accuser raises his bony finger and points it at me, then I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who steps forward in full regal display and in full honor. And he says, Father, I have paid for that sin. And my salvation is eternally secure because my salvation was accomplished fully, entirely, legally by the Lord Jesus. Propitiation has been made. So Boaz legally made redemption. But notice that it was marital as well. Not only did he redeem Ruth, but he also married her. And he gave her utter security by marrying her, and she became his wife. So she goes from the Moabite foreigner to the wife of this worthy, upstanding citizen in Bethlehem. The pride that she must have felt to be his wife. The security she must have felt To be his wife. The honor to be the wife of her Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, we are the bride of Christ. We learn in Ephesians chapter 5 that the Lord Jesus Christ, he has cleansed us and he has made us his bride. And as the bride is one flesh with her husband, then we also are the body of Christ. The bride of Christ, we hold our heads high. Not only are we saved, the Lord Jesus is our Bridegroom and we are his Bride. What honor, what honor to look forward to that beautiful celebration, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. What an honor it will be to be present in heaven at that. And so maritally, the redemption is made and we are so secure and with such honor to be the Bride of Christ. But now just finally, let's look at the fact that Boaz, he did what he did thoroughly and surely. Thoroughly and surely. The name Boaz means quickly. And also in the Old Testament, we encounter the fact that there were two pillars of Solomon's temple. And there were huge supportive structures right on the front of the temple. And one was named Boaz and the other was named Jackin. And so Boaz gives us in meaning, something that is done quickly, but also gives us this mental image of strength and surety because of the pillar named Boaz in the Old Testament. And so we realize that this redemption was done by one who was utterly capable and full of efficiency and who would do the job with surety thoroughly and surely. In Ruth chapter three, verse 18, Naomi says to Ruth, the man will not rest. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She had total confidence in Boaz that he was going to quickly, thoroughly, surely take care of this matter of redemption. It's so interesting that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the word that Naomi says here, he will settle the matter, it's the same word that the Lord Jesus Christ after purchasing our redemption on the cross, with a loud voice cried out, Settled. It is finished. Accomplished. It's the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so, our redemption is settled. It is sure. It is accomplished. Isn't that beautiful? In the start of chapter 3, Naomi says to Ruth, Should I not seek rest for you? Should I not seek rest for you? And then she tells Ruth at the end of chapter 3, Boaz will not rest until this is settled. And so, Ruth comes into rest because Boaz forsook his own rest until the matter was settled. And that is so true about us and our heavenly Boaz, the Lord Jesus. He forsook his own rest and he entered into pain in order to accomplish and settle forever our salvation so that we can have eternal rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So wonderful that the matter of our salvation is settled. It's settled. Settled forever. Sin's tremendous claim. Glory to Jesus. Blessed be his name. Glory to Jesus. Blessed be his name. So we can rest knowing that Jesus has settled the matter forever. There's nothing that we should do to try and add to this settled matter. What our responsibility is, is to rest on the finished accomplishment of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the 1700s, a hymn writer named Augustus Toplady wrote these words of Rock of Ages, and he was traveling through a place called Cheddar Gorge near Bristol, England, and this mighty thunderstorm came up quickly and he took refuge in the face, a cleft, or an opening in the face of a rock in Cheddar Gorge. And my wife and I had the privilege of walking through Cheddar Gorge on one occasion and thinking about Augustus Toplady and the beautiful truth that he was thinking of when he wrote this hymn, Rock of Ages. As we think about the fact that the matter is settled and there's nothing we can add to our redemption, we just come into the good of it and we rest in it and we worship the one who's done it. Think about Augustus Toplady's words. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Let us celebrate that there is a Redeemer. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is entirely worthy of all of our worship forever. And we are secure in Him. As his bride forever, he has redeemed us, we are his, and he is worthy.